Amen. We're ready for the word? Amen. Let's open our Bibles tonight and let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter number 12. The title of the message this evening is A Voice from Heaven. A Voice from Heaven. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. A voice from heaven. Come on, let's sing that prayer. Lord, prepare me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy. Trine and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Amen, amen. A voice from heaven. We know from Scripture that God is a speaking God. He likes to converse with his creation. And the Bible is plain that from the first book to the last book, God has had something to say. From Eden to Patmos and beyond, the Lord has articulated his thoughts to people. Adam and Eve were in the garden, God spoke. When they were put out of the garden, God spoke to their son, Cain, after he had murdered his brother. When Noah was dealing with a generation filled with iniquity, God came, spoke to him about the building of an ark. Abraham, all of his seed, heard the voice of God. But Moses was raised up by God, having moved from a burning bush back into Egypt in order to bring the children of Israel out. Even when they came out, God continued to talk. This is important because the voice of God has been consistent and continual throughout all of the generations that he has had a people in covenant with him. They entered into the promised land. God was speaking. He had one judge after another and then one prophet after another talking to kings. Everybody from Gad and Nathan all the way down to Isaiah. But the scripture teaches that when the apostles were doing their business in the book of Acts, God was still speaking. So even all the way to the end of the last book of the New Testament, the voice of God was consistent. There was a voice coming out of 
the throne. Get me a little glass of water, please. <clears throat> the one thing we know about God is that if he's speaking, the intention then is that someone will listen to what he has to say. God doesn't play with anybody's emotions. And if he has something to say, the expectation is <clears throat> someone will hear, and then our next act will be obedience. So there are several incidents, thank you, several incidents that we need to explore in thinking about this voice from heaven. Let's look into the Gospel of Luke chapter number 3. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 3. And let's pay attention then to verse 22. Jesus has made his way to the Jordan River. John the Baptist is there baptizing multitudes of people. The scripture says in verse 22, the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Notice verse 21. It said the people came to be baptized, and as Jesus was being baptized also, and praying, the heaven was open. Notice the connection. Jesus was praying, and then the heaven opened. Believers need to pray. And I think we'd be surprised by how many people say they're Christian who don't pray. Some people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. They've only ever prayed prayers out of a book. Some people don't pray simply because they don't know God. They have no relationship with God. Some people do not pray because they fail to make time for God. They're easily distracted. This is going on. That is going on. But from a scriptural perspective, when people pray, things tend to open up. If we want to see God move in a region, people should pray. If we want God to move in a church, a church should be called to pray. If we want to see God move in our homes or in our individual lives, somebody should take the time to pray, and I think it was John Wesley that made the statement that God doesn't do anything except in answer to prayer. That is to say, all over the earth, God is moving. But I can promise you somebody's praying somewhere. All of us in here right now are the product of somebody's prayer. You may not have known that your grandparents were praying. You may not have known that a neighbor was praying. You may not have known that a church member down the street had your name on a prayer list and a prayer chain was praying for you over and over again. But at some point in your life, because somebody was praying, the heavens opened up and the power of God fell upon your life. That's why so many people that have been sitting on stools in beer gardens and taverns and saloons have come under conviction as they were sitting there because somebody was praying for them. Jesus was praying and the Bible says the heaven opened. What happened? The scripture says that the spirit of God descended upon him and a voice spoke. You're my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. So in this statement, 
you have a declaration of the sonship of Jesus. He's connected to the Father. He came forth from the Father. The Holy Ghost made sure that conception took place in Mary because of the Father's design, the Father's purpose, the Father's will. But notice the last sentence of verse 22, and you I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't multiplied loaves of bread or fishes. Jesus had not at this time cast out any devils, healed Peter's mother-in-law, preached the Beatitudes. Nevertheless, Jesus was the one that God gave an expression of contentment to. That tells us that God loved him not because of what he had done or was about to do, but God loved him because of who he was, his son. In your children, when your children came into this world, came forth from you, from your loins, they were born into a world. Unless the parents were mad or irrational, they were born into a world where there was love, surrounded by love. You are my beloved son, and in you I'm well pleased. Now, some parents are not always happy with some of the decisions their children make, some of the things that their adult children do. But wouldn't you have loved to raise someone like Jesus who never sinned? I wonder what that must be like to raise a sinless child. I guess if my mom was here, she might be able to talk to you about it. I I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying maybe. I doubt it. But, you know, but to have that opportunity to have a sinless child and to be pleased. with it. The scripture is very plain that this take, took place when Jesus was about 30 years of age. A voice came from heaven when he was in the river Jordan and confirmed it for all of the people that were able to hear it. Turn a few chapters and go to chapter 9. Notice verse number 35. It says, There came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now this is the testimony of the transfiguration. Again, in verse 29, as Jesus prayed, The fashion of his countenance was altered. His raiment was white and glistering or glowing. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Again, this man began to pray. He climbed a hill with three disciples. And those three disciples, as seems to be their custom, They fell asleep while Jesus was communing with the Heavenly Father. And yet as he prayed, the power of God manifested in his life to the point that he began to glow. It reminds me of the story of Moses. Scripture says Moses went to the top of the mountain. The Lord had called him there. He was with the king for 40 days and the glory of God descended on the mountaintop and it was so powerful and so thick that that Moses, his pores and his skin absorbed that very glory. And when he descended from the mountain, the scripture said 
His countenance radiated and beamed with that mighty light of God. And the children of Israel said, Moses, please put a veil over your face. We can't even look at you as you've been in the presence of God. Imagine what these three disciples saw when they opened their eyes in verse 32 and saw his glory. Now this is interesting to me because the three had been sleeping. And and many people do sleep through a revival. They sleep through the things that God is doing. Their eyes are totally closed. They are dead to what is taking place. I think Paul says in Ephesians that those that are asleep should arise and wake themselves. But I wonder how many people today have missed out or are missing out on what God wants to do simply because their eyes are closed. No sense of discernment about what God is doing in his church. Sometimes a church can be passing through a period of purging. Other people don't see or recognize anything that's taking place. I've seen people when the membership begins to fall off and problems are taking place, nobody ever takes time to pray about any kind of self-evaluation to see what exactly could be the issue. But then there are other times when, when God begins to multiply and blessings are coming and other people are being added, but at the same time, people still can be asleep middle of what God is doing. Peter, James, and John had their eyes closed. They missed out on the bulk of the conversation that Moses and Elijah had with Jesus. But when they opened their eyes, they saw it. I would have loved to have been on that mountaintop. God must have miraculously gave them the inward intuition and assurance to know who these two prophets were. Jesus prayed, and because he did, the spiritual realm was opened up, and two citizens stepped from the other side to the top of that mountain. And a wonderful conversation took place. But then the question comes, where did they come from? Where were they that that they could come and appear to Jesus? Now, we've probably read in some study Bibles or heard People preach about uh, people in the Old Testament when they died. They went to a special compartment in hell. I used to hear people say that many, many years ago. And every now and then I'll hear somebody and they'll preach on that and they'll wax real eloquent. You know, it's the Protestant form of a purgatory. They say everybody before Jesus died and was resurrected under the old covenant, they did not go to heaven. They went down into a special compartment and they'll use the story of Lazarus looking over and seeing unto the other side. And they'll say, but when Jesus was raised from the dead, he had the keys to death, hell and grave. He led captivity captive. And he led all of those people out of hell and they went marching into heaven. Folks, as far as I know, there is no exit sign in hell. And I've never, ever known where anybody righteous goes there. But I do know this. Jesus said before he was crucified, one day you all sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. That's where Jesus believed they were. 
The Bible says that when Elisha was following behind Elijah, that he watched as a chariot of fire swooped down and grabbed Elijah and carried him off to heaven. That means he was in glory. The blood of the sacrifices that made it possible for their sins to be atoned, made it possible for them to commune with God, made it possible for them to enter into eternity. And the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and shed for me is what makes it possible for us to be absent from this body but present with the Lord. All of us one day are going to see him face to face. So they're talking to him about his crucifixion. They're speaking to him about the death that he should die there in Jerusalem. But again, in verse 35, you can see the Lord affirms the sonship of Jesus. He doesn't say this of Moses. He doesn't say this of Elijah. Both of them were prophets. But he does say this of Jesus, who also was a prophet. And he says, listen to him. God spoke from heaven to tell them to listen to his son on planet earth. And when God is speaking, God gives people ears to hear what he has to say. There's no doubt about it. God begins to work on anyone. They have the ability to hear what God is trying to say. He can communicate on earth any way that he wants. And sometimes it's startling in the manner that he does it. In this case, it was a mountain in Israel and it was a mount of transfiguration. But in other cases, God has spoken in scripture to people in ways that leave us scratching our head. But God is able. Well then, turn back to John chapter 12 and notice verse 29 again. The people that stood by heard the voice, and they said it thundered because of the voice from heaven. Now this is the feast of Jerusalem. And verse 20 tells us that some Greeks came up to worship, and when they got there, they were fascinated by the stories they were hearing of our Savior, and they turned around and they said, look, look, we want to see Jesus. That is the desire of every person that wants to get to know God. When people tell you that they're trying to figure out whether or not there is a God or there is no God, they want to see Jesus. That's the key. And if they ever get a glimpse of him and come in contact with him, they'll never be the same again. I witnessed this past Friday night to a young man. They had him down there on the second row, and I walked up to him afterwards. I said, are you a Christian? He said, well, no, I don't really believe in God. I said, well, why don't you believe in God? He said, I'm not sure that there, that there is a God. I said, well, what? Are you just angry at God? Are you you're just opposed to God? Or, you know, you seem to be indifferent. What's the issue? And he, he was just telling me, you know, my dad's a Muslim, mom's a Christian. I just don't know what's right. I said, I can help you. It's easy. Jesus is right. Jesus is right. And I said, I'm going to pray for you right here, and I'm going to pray and ask God somehow to create circumstances in your life through which he can talk to you, make himself known, make himself plain to you. He had to do that for you. He had to do that for me. Yeah. And when God begins to speak, he does it in ways that leaves us wondering how 
is it that God knew I would be in this location at this time? How is it that God knew that I would be in this building on this particular day? God knew the right person to bring into your life. He knew the spouse that you needed. He knew how to speak a word to you through a child's voice. God knew the friend that you needed to bump into that you hadn't seen in 20 years just so they could tell you how much they love Jesus now. Yeah. He's able to communicate that. So there are a lot of people at the feast that didn't know Jesus, but they're wanting to know who he is. And Jesus tells them, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he goes on to explain to them in a prayer in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Now the father spoke and said, I've already done it and I will do it again. Well, when had he done it? John chapter 11, verse 4, there was a man that had died. They told Jesus. Jesus said, this man isn't dead, but for the glory of God, we're going to show you how powerful God is. Lazarus had been dead for 96 hours. Jesus showed up on the scene, spoke a sentence. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And that dead man came back to life as the power of God entered him. And a multitude of people were changed. And the scripture says the folks were nervous about Lazarus. They were angry about Lazarus. They were conspiring to kill him. Can you imagine a man that died, had a Jewish burial, has now come back to life, and he's at everybody's dinner table telling the story, and the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees are angry every moment that he's talking, because as long as his lips are moving, he's testifying about Jesus. And every time he tells the story, a voice from heaven is speaking through his lips. They said we ought to kill him. The Bible says they conspired just because they wanted to shut down his testimony. I'm not surprised when people are going after Christians today. Doesn't surprise me at all when political people and other different groups turn their attention to the church because they need to put a muzzle on us. As long as we're talking, as long as we're witnessing, as long as we're preaching, we're the conduit through which God pours himself and a voice from heaven continues to talk on planet earth. That's why they're going after him. But the scripture says, I have glorified it. He did it with Mr. Lazarus' circumstance. That's at least one occasion. But then in John chapter 13, you'll notice how he's going to do it in the future. Verse number 30, Judas is preparing to betray the Lord. And Jesus said, the one that sticks his hand into the dipping dish with me, he's the betrayer. In verse 30, having received the sop, he went immediately outside and it was night. And therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall immediately glorify him. That is to say, Jesus' pathway is headed towards Calvary. And the Lord is making it plain that the betrayer, Judas, is the one that is putting things into motion for Jesus to die. 
Folks, it was a bloody pathway. Have you ever had a friend betray you? Have you ever had someone close to you that you consider to be a confidant? They shared one of your most intimate stories, took something that you expected them to secret within their heart, and they blabbered it to somebody. You ever had a friend turn enemy? They couldn't wait to undermine you on the job, see you fired? Ever had a neighbor that one day was good to you, but the next day was angry and upset because they coveted something that you possessed? This man, Judas, had power in his hands to heal the sick, and he was able to cast out devils. And yet this man walked up to Jesus in the garden, and he kissed him on the cheek. And Jesus said, friend, you're going to betray me with a kiss? This pathway that Jesus passed through was one that dealt with crushing and humility. He had to persevere. He had to show patience. Calvary isn't an easy place to arrive at. It's not a nice place to go. When he traveled around northern Israel and preached in various places, thousands of people lined the mountaintops, the hillsides, to listen to him for hours. The Bible says on one occasion they sat there for three days and listened to Jesus teach. But yet when he is down here now, about to be betrayed and handed over to the Jewish leadership and then ultimately to the Roman procurator Pilate, the crowds now have thinned out and there are fewer people following him. And as he's carrying his cross to Calvary, there's a handful of ladies standing along the roadside weeping and crying. And Jesus, as weak as he was, said to those ladies, don't cry for me, cry for your kids. Cry for your kids, because this world's going to be a mess. I'm the light of the world. The light's going to be with you for a little while, verse 35 and 36. But after a while, the light is going to be gone, and people are not going to know how to move around in the darkness. It's interesting to me to think that you can't get to Calvary unless you go through Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the place where they had the olives. The olives have to be crushed to produce the oil that they needed for so many different things. Oil for the lamp in the temple, oil to anoint people, and so on and so forth. You can't get the beautiful fragrance from the rose except you crush it. And sometimes the path that God has for us is a bloody path that leads us also to Calvary. And sometimes we have to pass through moments to bring about our humility. I'm going to tell you right now, it's easier or it's better to be humbled and move in humility in the beginning than it is to have to be humiliated in the end. Listen to what God is saying to you at this stage in your life. If he's telling you to humble yourself, humble yourself because pride will bring you a sudden destruction and utter humiliation and shame. There have been plenty of people that have had to suffer that. To follow in his footsteps, you've got to be willing to bear the cross and you've got to fight the battles that Jesus had to fight. He said, don't be surprised if they don't like you, they don't like me. That's why they're crucifying. And I could promise you, if any man or woman, if any church ever 
manifested the life of Jesus to the degree that he did in the Gospels, there'd be a crowd of people ready to crucify you too. Because that's too much God. They can't handle that. It, it blows people's mind to think that there really is a God. That's why they come after the church. That's why there's persecution. I was reading this morning about some folks down in South America back in the late 50s, I believe it was, might have been the 60s, but the, the, the Roman church were persecuting some Protestants because the move of God was on in these different countries. And this one lady was telling a testimony of how when she became a Christian and walked away from the Roman church and became a Protestant, her father looked at her in front of all of her family and said, I want you to leave this house and don't you ever cast your heretical eyes on me again. Even after I die, don't come to the funeral. I don't want your eyes even looking at my dead body. That's because a woman came to know God and her father disowned her. For the Lord said this will turn family members against one another. Another village in South America where people had genuinely became born-again Christians. They were meeting somewhere in basically like an old grass hut. That's about all it was, but it could hold 50 or 60 people, and they were there worshiping and praising God. And the, the papists, they came and surrounded the hut, and they all had machetes. And they found out. Christians found out that they were out there. The Christians took off, tried to run in different directions. And here they were out there with those machetes attacking all of those different Christians. But the testimony of the story was that later on, despite all the persecution, the church stood. The name of Christ persisted. They said the congregation had multitudes of people that were maimed, and people without fingers, some without legs because of the machete attacks, but they kept serving God. It was a bloody path, but they endured, you see. Another story was of a family that had lost a beautiful infant. The baby had died, and so because of the persecution in that area from the Roman Catholics, they decided to hold the funeral at night at 2 a.m. Said all the family members had gathered together. They put the little baby up on the table. They said as they were dancing and singing and giving glory to God as they were going to go out and bury the baby, they said they heard a, a sound and they smelt smoke and then realized the home they were in had been set ablaze. Stepped out there and there were hundreds of, of, of uh, fervent, angry uh, Romans that were out there attacking them one by one as they were setting the house on fire. said that they came into that home, violated the young lady. They beat the young men. One of them grabbed that dead infant off that table, dragged that child out there in the middle of the night and tossed them in a pile of manure. Folks, don't tell me that folks across this earth hadn't had to go through something to believe. But somebody somewhere was a product of somebody's prayer and because somebody prayed, the heavens opened up somewhere and somebody had the glory of God fill their heart and their soul. And they decided, I'm going on with Jesus just the same. 
I refuse to back down. I refuse to go in another direction. I'm going to walk with God regardless of what anyone is saying. And that is exactly what has taken place here in Scripture. What's taking place now. Let me quickly give you two other things. The voice of God didn't change with the different seasons. But in Exodus chapter 19, verse 20, it does say that there was a time where God called Moses to the top of the mountain. God communed with him. God spoke to him. God was talking to him about these Ten Commandments and so on. But God came down in fire, power, thunder, had the attention of all the Israelites who were afraid because of what they saw. But then on the day of Pentecost, 120 people were gathered together. The glory of God fell. 120 people began to speak in languages from the different nations. And when you read the list of nations, they stretched from Rome all the way over to parts of Turkey, over into Arabia. And they said, we do hear them declaring in our tongue the wonderful works of God. What are they saying? A voice from heaven is talking to us about God. Day of Pentecost. How did God speak to you? Who did God use to speak to you? Was it mom or dad when you were a child? Was it some minister in a message somewhere in a church somewhere? Did someone witness to you way back yonder when you didn't want anybody to witness to you, but yet they kept talking to you even though you didn't want to be talked to? I know there in John chapter 12, when it talks about walking in the light, being children of the light, I'm only here with you for a little while. That's how God spoke to me as a teenager. Whatever God has to use, he'll use. Whoever he needs to use, he will use. And they don't come too hard for God. No. Somebody can go to bed tonight. God can speak to them while that head is on that pillow. And say, turn to me. Follow me. This is why people still go around the world and serve God in foreign countries. This is why people still move from state to state to serve God in various ways through various occupations. This is why some people move from city to city to serve God in their varied ways. This is why some people stay right where they are because they've heard God speak to them and give assurance in their heart. You're not to leave and go anywhere, but stay right where you were born and raised and be a witness right here. I don't care how he speaks to you. It doesn't matter to me where you are when he speaks to you, only that you hear and obey. All those churches in the book of Revelation. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And if more of our churches would listen to God, which is to say if more of us Christians would listen to God, how much better our churches in America would be? Yeah. We wouldn't have pulpits filled with people that don't believe in God. We have a place saturated with the presence of God when we pray. Yeah. Let's stand tonight. A voice from heaven.
Well, we told you that when we pray, we can expect heaven to be open. So I want you to think about some family members maybe that you have that are not Christian. I want you to think about some friends that are not Christian. Maybe even about some enemies that don't know God. Let's just take a few moments and pray for them. If Jesus could pray as often as he prayed and the heavens could open. And Peter could pray on a rooftop and heaven would open. And Paul could pray and heaven would open. Then what might happen if we take the time to pray and expect the glory of God to fall on somebody else's life as we're interceding for them right now? Let's pray. Father, we take the time to stand in the gap for our unsaved loved ones. There's not a son or a daughter, a cousin, a niece, or a nephew that is greater than the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we're here this evening touching and agreeing and believing through our hearts that you're at work, Father, we are expecting to hear about changes in many homes and many families, God. We're taking the time to pray for our friends, Lord, the ones that we really are close to, the ones that we love, but yet still may be somewhat embittered toward you or indifferent towards you. Father, talk to them in the middle of the night. Let them toss and turn in the bed in your grace and in your power. We pray, God, that the mighty convicting work of the Holy Spirit would begin, Father, And Father, give them ears to hear as you're trying to communicate with them and speak with them, Almighty God. I pray, Lord, that with the turning of every every petal on a flower in their house, they'd be able to know you're talking to them. I pray, Lord, that every time they look up and see a star in that sky, that you'd be talking with them. I pray, Lord, with every ray of sunlight that bursts forth every morning, let it declare your glory to them, God. And then, Father, we intercede for our enemies, the ones that are opposed to us, the ones that are attacking the church. We pray, O oh God, for their salvation. We pray that you would turn them from iniquity to righteousness. Father, don't leave them alone to themselves in the midst of their iniquity, God. But, God, go to work in their lives and bring about a change, O oh God. Father, we pray, we pray, Lord, for our community, for our churches. Oh, God, where there's lethargy and people have walked away from you and lack passion and fervency. Oh, God, restore it. Oh, God, put a desire in their heart to draw closer to you, to love you more and more. God, forgive us, God, for not exhibiting any kind of passion towards you, Lord, but yet work in our hearts and in our lives, God. We don't want to be mediocre Christians. We don't want to be average Christians, Lord. We want to be believers like those in the text of the good book, God. Help us, oh God, to love you, to love you and to know you. Because, Father, the more we get to know you, the more we want to love you. And the more we love you, God, the more we want to get to know you, God. Oh, Father, we worship you this evening. We praise you, almighty God, and glorify you because there's no one as wonderful as you are, Lord. Thank you that we can lift holy hands without wrath and doubting and stand in your presence and know that you're here in the midst of us tonight, God. We honor you. We praise you, God. 
You're the healer. You're the deliverer, God. You can handle every burden from all of our hearts tonight, God. And we cast every care upon you who cares so well for us, oh God. You're wonderful, God. You're wonderful, God. Oh, God, we love you. We love you, God. Thank you, Jesus, almighty God. Oh, yes. Tiffany, help me with this song. Some of you might remember this one. Jesus, what a wonder you are. You are so gentle, so pure and so kind. You shine like the bright morning star. Jesus, what a wonder you are. Let's try that again. Jesus, what a wonder you are. You are so gentle, so pure and so kind. You shine like the bright morning star. Jesus, what a wonder you are. Praise God, praise God. Isn't it good to serve a lovely Savior? Oh, folks, I'm telling you, yeah. I'd crawl across broken glass just to hang out with folks like you on a Sunday night. Yes, I would. I'm telling you, just to be around people that love God, it's a wonderful thing. All righty, you've got a neighbor there somewhere.